Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And uh, we are here for Hardcore Church Planning, which, of course, is one of our favorite uh, podcasts. It's one of our two favorite podcasts, I'd say. Right, Peyton? I I would definitely say, and uh, we got a guest today, which is cool because we have a broadcast. You pointed out the other day, you're like, a couple of our guests have canceled on us. So we got an awesome guest today who did not cancel on us. Should should I play the uh, the fanfare music before you introduce? Well, we should introduce them, then play the music. Go for it. All right. Well, our guest today is Derwin Gray. He is the founding and lead pastor of Transformational Church, and he is the author of our new book, from the next Leadership Network series called the HD or High Definition Leader. <laughs> I don't have to point this out, but we kind of set the bar high there for you, Derwin. <laughs> Dude, that was awesome. It brought back all these childhood memories. Heck yeah, man. Hey, they they play that before Star Wars, so you were in an honored seat, my man. So welcome oh, to the show today. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. appreciate what you guys do. One of the first things that we always like to do, uh, Derwin, when we start out one of these interviews, because not all of our listeners know you or know your story, we kind of like to ask uh, for you to tell us a little bit of your story, how you came to faith, and how you got involved in church planning and doing what you do now. Yeah, so I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. Um, grew up uh, po, not poor, because I couldn't afford to O and the R. <laughs> and uh, um, in Texas, we take football very seriously. Uh, didn't come from a religious home. Uh, we were kind of quasi Jehovah's Witness, but all that meant was uh, crosses are bad and you don't celebrate birthdays or Christmas. And that was the extent of it. Uh, my dad was not involved in my life. My mom was 16 when she was pregnant with me. So at about age 13, I looked at my environment, looked at everything around me, and I said, I don't want to be like this. And so uh, I began my quest to conquer the American dream, uh, worked hard in football, got a f- uh, football scholarship to Brigham Young. So you got a black urban city kid going to Provo, Utah with the Mormons. And it was an eye-opening experience, but it was a great experience. And God's sovereign tapestry being there taught me how to get along with people who are vastly different. Met my wife there January 15th, 1990, and we've been married for 23 years. Had a great career at BYU, then got drafted to play for the Indianapolis Colts. And on August 2nd, 1997, my fifth year in the NFL is when I came to faith. For five years, a teammate uh, shared the gospel with me. Hmm. Uh, his name was Steve Grant, but his nickname was the Naked Preacher because he would walk around the locker room half naked <laughs> with a Bible, sharing Christ. And uh, August 2nd, 1997, 
uh, in a small dorm room in Anderson, Indiana, and Anderson College. My my prayer of faith was a phone call to my wife where I said, I want to be more committed to you, and I want to be committed to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the sense of um, the sense of overwhelming love just absolutely wrecked me. I hadn't gotten over it yet. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's when I was born again. Like I knew something was fundamentally different. And I, from that day forward, I just developed a passion to read everything I could about Christ. I mean, I just would just ingest the Bible for hours at a time. In 1998, we moved to Charlotte so I could f- continue my football career with the Panthers. Hurt my knee, so all I could do for the rest of the year was read the Bible and then share my faith with my teammates. And eventually I got invited to speak at a youth event in 1999 in Columbia, South Carolina. A bunch of kids came to faith that launched into an itinerant ministry. And then in 2004, my wife and I were frustrated by what we've seen. Everywhere we went and preached, it was like a segregated crowd. Mm. So when we were sinners in the world, we would go into a nightclub that looked like Revelation 5-9. But then when we would come to church, it was like Mm. segregated. And that was just weird to me. And so we got frustrated, and I sense God saying, don't criticize, create. And eventually that led to the planning of Transformation Church, where the great commandment and the great commission shapes our vision. Jesus cast the greatest vision there ever was. Uh, love God, love your neighbors, you love yourself, then go make disciples of all ethnos. So for us, all ethnos doesn't just mean across the sea, it means across the street. Mm. So Transformation Church was launched February 7, 2010. At our first service, 701 people showed up, and we're at about 3,000 or so now with four campuses, two campuses in prisons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church shaped by the mission of Jesus, and um, God has blessed us immensely. It's, 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 been, um, it's been overwhelming, um, the grace God has poured out upon us. Mm-hmm. Well, Derwin, it, it, it's been really cool, man, to, to kind of watch you. You were one of the first, uh, interviews that, that we had with Church Planner Magazine. And you've written a book. And I, first off, you've written a couple books. You've written Hero yeah. Unleashing God's Power in a Man's Heart in 2010. And then in 2013, Limitless Life had just come out. You're more than your past when God holds your future. And we interviewed you about that, but, I'm really excited because in that interview, I kept asking you questions about this topic. And uh, if you guys haven't picked up the next Leadership Network books, these are uh, some of the best books out there on some of the most relevant topics. And uh, the book is called, again, The HD Leader or the High Def, it's HD, The High Definition Leader, subtitled Building Multi-Ethnic Churches in a Multi-Ethnic World. Duran, what is the high-definition leader. So uh, the high-definition leader is a motif that I used um, to, to paint this picture. Uh, the United States, like TVs, used to primarily be black and white. And then you went to HD, and HD allows you to see colors vividly and beautifully. Well, God's church is multicolored and multi-ethnic, and we need high-definition leaders who value what God does. It is indisputable that the Apostle Paul planted churches that were comprised of Jews and everybody else. That's what the word Gentile means. Gentile means every other ethnicity. And so the Greco-Roman world 
of first century Second Temple Judaism was filled with uh, racial fragmentation, social um, class clashing. Um, it, it was fragmented. And it was right in the heart of that, that the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus brought together people of different ethnicities and social economic classes to build the church on earth to be a foretaste of what eternity is going to be like. And so a high definition leader is a leader who values the heart of God to basically plant heavenly colonies of reconciliation mm-hmm. and uh, a gospel focused people on earth. Cause that's what the church is. And so basically what I'm doing in the book is I'm just walking through the book of Ephesians and showing how Paul was writing letters to these house churches in Ephesus of how Jews and Gentiles are to get along. And um, I'm a little feisty today. So if I hear one more person say, well, just preach the gospel, I'm like, you don't know what the gospel is. Because Paul says Mm. that in Jesus's body, through his body on the cross, he united Jews and Gentiles. How much more gospel can you get? Hmm. And it's an indictment to the church in the West and to evangelical Protestants, our lack of understanding of gospel. The gospel is good news that the father has sent his son to be the king, to rule and reign. And this kingdom is comprised of Jews and Gentiles in different social economic classes to show the world a new way to be human, to restore us. Hmm. You know, Derman, let me ask, how will being a high-definition defi- leader, how is that going to affect people when they're on mission? Like, I mean, you, you talk about a lot of different interesting problems that we've got. So so how do we, I don't know, I don't even know how to form this question, but how do we take, you know, some of these principles and then how does that affect us when we're actually on mission? What does it look like? Yeah, you know, that that's a great question. And one of the things that I did in the book is I took the missional movement to task. Is, uh, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but when I talk to missional guys, they're like all white guys and they have like white churches. And I'm like, okay, so the apostle Paul was Jewish. He was a Pharisee. And he says, I'm going to the Gentiles, to the Gonim. And he built house churches of Jews and Gentiles. So a part of being missional is being multi-ethnic, going to the other. And so what it looks like personally is you get out of your comfort zone and you get into the Christ zone of valuing all people. But the eschatological trajectory of Revelation 5-9 is what imposes and bears weight on the present that in light of scripture, in light of being missional, I could not not plant a multi-ethnic church Mm. because by definition to be missional means I'm reaching everybody in my missional footprint. Yeah. And I want to add to this because very personally to me, I mean, I think most white guys walk around thinking, I get it. I'm not racist. And and the reality is you you almost kind of have to have your eyes open to this in white America. Um, you know, your, your responses to things like Ferguson, uh, Michael Brown, I mean, all these things, uh, it, 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 it kind of betrays a latent racism, that defensiveness it kicks in when you're watching Fox News or whatever it is. Um, it's there. When, when my daughters, 
I, I adopted two girls, um, both uh, African-American mixed race. And it, it really opened my eyes, man, because my attitudes towards everything changed. I found myself on the black side of these issues suddenly, you know, because uh, these, these were things, this was family to me now. And, and I think the church has to get to that position where, like what you're saying, that, that the way that Paul talks about it, we're family. This is the household of God. We are the true family. And the beauty of it is God is bringing people together across these racial divides. Cause let's face it, the world has no clue what to do with it. Nothing yeah, that and, they say helps. And everything you're saying is 100% amen. But the problem is the majority of our books, the majority of our preaching in the evangelical church is just uh, self-helpism. Mm, it's yeah. not about God's kingdom. It's about how to keep and maintain your suburban lifestyle. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's not a... It's not being overwhelmed with what are God's purposes. It's how do we use God for our purposes. And and <laughs> even before Michael Brown, even before Ferguson, uh, the church has had a racial problem in America from Jump Street, from day one. Mm. Every historical black denomination was birthed out of black people not being able to sit in the front in the white church. And, yeah. and here's what, what was sad. You know, when you look at Mother Emmanuel and the tragedy that happened there in Charleston, um, the AMI church was birthed out of the Methodist church. Mm. And John Wesley, the Anglican, who didn't want to leave the Anglican church, uh, birthed the Methodist church, was an abolitionist. Yet, blacks had to sit in the back and not in the front. Right. And so uh, uh, Richard Allen and those, those guys said, we're going to start the African Methodist Episcopal Church. So even the black denominations that you see today were birthed out of dysfunctionality within mm -hmm. the church. Because, as I said, we need more cross-eyed people who believe in the power of the cross more deeply. And Paul's very clear what the cross does in Ephesians 2 14 through 16. Hmm. And, and, and that's just scratching the surface. Like if you yeah. get the book, the biggest things that I've heard from people, whether black, white, Asian, Latino is, why did I go through seminary and this was never taught? Amen. Amen. And, and so, you know, it, it's, it's really an indictment against us and how far we've betrayed the gospel and have turned it into a user-friendly self-help thing. Versus understanding that individual salvation only exists so God can create a family to say, Abraham, I kept my covenant with you. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if even if we were to read just like Galatians 3, 8, right? The scripture foreseeing that the gospel will be preached to Abraham. And then it says, in you, all the nations shall be blessed. And in verse 9, it says, and the Gentiles will be justified by faith. We never talk about that. I never mm -hmm. hear that preach. That the good news was that Abraham, all the nations would be blessed. And Paul says the blessing is Jesus becomes a super glue to unite enemies into friends and make them family. Amen. Amen. I love it, man. And and I love the fact that on page seven in a section called Reconciliation at the Heart of Paul's Ministry, 
You say, for black Americans, the horror of black men being lynched came to mind. This you're referring to Ferguson. Uh, and you say, anger, fear, and sadness have a context. Going back to what you've said about the, not only the history of racism, but you also point out in the book that, as you're saying now, that you know a lot of the missional writers, a lot of this, that we're hearing from a white context. And you mentioned that Bill Hybels utilized uh, the homogenous principles of church growth early on, but since has backpedaled and, and kind of communicated about that. Can you clarify what that is and why he's rethought it? Yeah, so the uh, homogeneous unit principle was developed by Dan, uh, well, by uh, McGovern in India. India has a caste system, and he said the easiest way to reach these pe- people in a caste is to go specifically after their caste, but then integrate them into a diverse church. Well, American entrepreneurs grabbed that and said, wow, this fits good. We can build churches the way we want to build them based on class, based on uh, uh, ethnicity and economics. Like you don't see a lot of church planners running to the hood. Now, they may mm-hmm. run to regentrified areas, which aren't really hood. Um, and, and, and so we took that and then we began to build churches and say things like, who's your target? Who are you trying to reach? Let me just say this very bluntly. Jesus doesn't give me an option on who I'm trying to reach. Amen. So therefore, I can't be a discriminator of persons in my community of who I'm trying to reach. The church is not a business with a target market. Our target market is human beings that Jesus tasted death for. Mm. And so the homogeneous unit principle says people will come to faith and join a church of the same class, same socioeconomic status, same uh, religion, uh, I mean, uh, politics and so forth. And that has in essence created um, segregation. But I think hiding within that, and this is for the black church, Latino, Korean, white, whatever, hiding in that is indifference to God's kingdom. Hiding in that is classism, prejudice, ethnocentrism, and racism. And all those things are sin. Mm. And God wants to root that out and transform us because the local church is to be a picture of heaven on earth. You know, one of the interesting things, uh, Derwin, that we here in America hear all the time is always about the black-white issue. As if those are the only two ethnicities in the United States, right? It's mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. Um, th- there's so so many other uh, uh, ethnicities. How have mm-hmm. you seen like the Latino and the Asian? How do all of these ethnicities come together in a multicultural church? Not just obviously the black and white, but um, everything else that we've got here in, yeah. in America. Yeah, and, and and that's the purpose of a high definition leader is that we're not black and white anymore. The nations are all around us. The ethnos is around us. So so you have first generation issues with whether it's Korean, Asian, Chinese, Asian, Asian, Indian, Asian. You have first generation issues, Latino as well, where they speak a cultural language. The problem comes in with the second generation who are Americanized and their friends are diverse. And so what I propose is there needs to be a connection with the first-gen churches with a multi-ethnic church for the transition of the children. Now, 
I've had Asian pastors tell me, look, our language and culture is more important than reaching the other. I've had black pastors say, look, you can't trust white people. They'll never follow black leadership. I've had white pastors say, if I do what you're proposing, white men would be afraid their daughters would marry uh, black men. Hmm. And so and, and uh, I've had a Latino pastor threaten me and say, if you do what you're going to do, you're going to steal my people. And I always thought they were Jesus's. Amen. So so we need to believe more deeply in the cross. We need to believe more deeply in the providence of God. And we really need to care mm-hmm. about God's kingdom. Like I even hate, hate using the word multi-ethnic church mm. because for the apostle Paul in the early church, the ecclesia meant Jews and Gentiles. Yeah. That's why he wrote all of his letters. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that people are ignorant of how much, you know, race was kind of something or ethnicity was something that, that was all laced throughout, not only the epistles, but the gospels. Um, even in the early church, you know, suddenly it's, yeah. you know, the Hellenists versus the, the Jews in Jerusalem. This yeah. was something that the gospel was constantly being applied to in the first century, and we're not reading the scripture with those lenses. We have the same issues today. The world continues to have it. Jesus paints the picture of heaven in Revelation, says this isn't an issue there, but it's an issue today because we're not applying the gospel. Yeah, yeah. So, so for the most part, evangelical Christianity has this mindset. I want to empty hell and fill heaven. That's what I'm called to do. For a first century Second Temple Jewish person, they would have been like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, what in the world are you talking about? It would have been the Messiah has come yeah. to rule and reign as the king of the Jews. And the Gentiles get to follow his leadership too on earth. The age to come, eternal life, is now in the present. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But while I'm present in this body, I'm to join the greater body in imaging forth what the kingdom looks like to the world. Amen. That's a different narrative. Yeah. That's a totally different story. The first one is a lot easier. The second one is a lot harder and more biblical. And it's all by grace. It's all the indwelling life of Christ through the Spirit's power through us. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is Jesus isn't a life coach or self-help coach. He's God and King ruling and reigning. Yeah. Amen. Creator of all. Man, that really kind of hits to the heart when you mentioned that uh, a white pastor told you that he did not want uh, that parents in his, uh, that just blows my mind and cuts my heart, man. That's, uh, yeah. you know, my, my daughter, uh, you know, I'm telling you, man, it's just as, as a kid with mixed race kids, man, that just, that cuts the heart. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and think of it in these terms here too, right? Why is it that president Obama who grew up with white grandparents and has a white mom is considered the first black president of the United States of America? Why, why isn't he considered white? He's just as much white as he is black. Yeah. Here's why. In the United States of America, in slavery days, if you had one eighth of black blood in you, you were could be considered black. Mm. So therefore, we're still using racist slave terminology to define multi-ethnic kids. My wife is white, and my kids are just as much white as they are black. Yeah. But why is it that our culture refers to them as black right. and not white? Yeah. Within that. 
is a latent racism that we've continued to hold on to. And the idea of race is a 17th century construct to have a hierarchy of human beings. Yeah, that's correct. The, The reality is, is there's only one race, the human race, comprised of different ethnicities. And there's no biological difference. But greater than that, the gospel says, on the cross, Christ created in himself a new humanity. Mm. So my blackness doesn't define me. My Christness does. Mm. Amen. Amen. Well, Derwin, what what words of advice would you give to church planners, you know, who are starting out, who are saying, look, I hear what you're saying, Derwin, and I know what you're saying is important. You've you've really sparked me to to look into this. Um, I but how do I plant a church that itself is multi-ethnic? Yeah, the first thing I would say is stop going to conferences because you're only going to learn how to do homogeneous churches. <laughs> so I've stopped going unless I'm going to speak. The second thing I would do. <laughs> I was wondering um, if that was coming into play. Yeah, baby. <laughs> um, the uh, the Well, but I mean, somebody's got to be there to tell them about multi-ethnic church, right? Right. Of course. Absolutely. Um, well, I, I got to tell you a story real quick. I was at a, a pastor's conference once, and I was at the dinner table, and there was, you know, these are big round tables, and there's probably about 12 white guys, and there were two two guys, you know, two African-American guys, and they were sitting there, <clears throat> and I mentioned how that someone asked about what I do, and I said, we go into areas where no one else goes. That's the network I'm a part of. Um, we say we we don't go where the money is. We go where the need is. And everyone's just kind of looking at me like I'm an alien. And I keep going. I keep saying, you know, like like you guys, you know, doesn't the gospel follow the white middle class trajectory? You know, all you guys, are you, what do you think? You know, we'll plant in an in a, in a upwardly mobile young families there. Uh, the city's expanding. They're building Starbucks and then Nordstrom's. And I'm going off. And these other guys are just looking shocked. <laughs> Two brothers are sitting there going, mm-hmm. <laughs> The whole time. It was it was phenomenal, man. (laughs) That's awesome. So that's that's the first thing I would say. And and then the second thing I would say is get your New Testament. And every time you see Jew and Gentile, circle it. Like this past week, I preached on Mark 5, 1 through 20, and it says, Jesus went across the sea to the Gerasenes in the land of Decapolis. That's Gentile land. So Jesus had a cult cultural multi-ethnic ministry himself. That's therefore reason. Circle where you see Jews, circle where you see Gentiles, circle where you see nations and all that stuff. And you'll get a picture for God's heart that all of the work of Jesus is to create a family. And that family is a diverse one. And then thirdly, I would say buy my buy my book. You know, I'm a little biased, um, but I think it's the best on the topic in the way it's written. And uh, Matt Chandler wrote the forward. He said it's the best book that he's read on the topic as well. And I would say it's not a topic, but it's the topic, the reconciliation of humanity to God and humanity to each other is the topic. Hmm. Should I, uh, am I supposed to do the, uh, the end all question now, Peyton? If, if you can. I don't know if I can. I Derwin, we have a uh we have a routine here with this particular podcast and what we do and 
I don't know if you've if you've heard it before, but we have a final question for our guests before we close out any of our podcast, and it's uh, it's simply this. And this is a tough one after this topic, but I know who I'm going to ask, Peyton. Oh, you got someone in I got, mind? I got someone because I kind of, I'm kind of curious. I'm thinking oh, okay, size-wise. I just came up with someone, too. Let's see if your guy's my guy. I don't think it is. All right, but here's the question, Derwin. If you were to get into a physical fist fight with you and Rick Warren, who would win? Oh, come on. That's not fair. <laughs> you just killed Rick Warren. <laughs> I gotta ask. I gotta ask. Well, okay, so um, I think that I think that Rick Warren would win <laughs> because you know, because funny, Rick, but no one actually believes that. No, no. So hey, now I'm, we know. Rick, hey, Rick. Rick is like six four, and you know, like Rick. Rick would win because he would hug me and kiss me, and, and, and it, it'll, it'll, it'll be like how Ronda Rousey got kicked in the head. I mean, he'd kiss me so much, I just just fall out, and he'd, he'd win totally. That's funny. Well, you know. By the what? way, Rick is a Rick is a friend and a mentor. Uh, he and Kay uh, Kay just recently preached at Transformation Church, and oh, nice. um, I highly respect those guys and the work yeah. that they're doing in Rwanda and around the mm. world is epic. Yeah, same here, man. We uh, we on the Church Planner podcast are huge fans of Rick. He blew our mind a few years ago. We actually have a whole podcast. We uh, sat next to him at dinner accidentally, and he talked to us for three and a half hours. You don't That's realize right. how incredible that dude is until he starts talking to you. And so he blew my mind. He's he's one of my heroes. And here's the thing, Derwin. Um, we, we kind of felt like having you on here, we ask everybody. And, and a lot of times we pit people against Hugh Halter because he seems kind of tough. But we. Dude, I would so work Hugh. Wouldn't even be funny. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> well, we knew that. We're so pretty we, sure, though, he'd pull out a knife. Like, we're pretty sure he's just always dirty. packing a knife with him. He'd fight dirty. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. We, we, we were like, okay, we got. And we've been talking about this for a while now. Like, we're having Derwin on. Is this just an affair? Asking him who he's going to fight is almost like saying, Derwin, who do you want to kill today? <laughs> and, uh, it, it's like asking the Incredible Hulk, who do you want to smash? <laughs> Derwin, who does Derwin want to smash? Derwin smash, you know? Derwin. It's just not fair. So anyways, brother, it has been awesome <laughs> having you on here. And uh, thanks for your passion. Thanks for having the guts, man, to say what you're saying. Because it takes guts. And I appreciate it, man. And it needs to be heard. So thanks for coming on. The book, again, real quick, is The High Definition Leader, part of the Next Leadership Network series, published by Thomas Nelson. You can get it on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. I've always wanted to say that. (laughs) Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. You have a good day. Bye-bye. You too. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.